Welcome to On Uninformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, On Uninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. This week, we have the opportunity to have dead C.S. Lewis on the show. I've been reading one of his well-known books called Mere Christianity. In the preface of his book, it says that everything in the book originally came from part of a radio show. So I did some research to to find out if I could get my hands on um, some of the original recordings online or something. So it turns out that only one recording remains, and you'll be hearing excerpts from it on today's show. But let me first give a little background. So World War II was a bleak time particularly for people in the United Kingdom, where, where people were in constant fear of German planes dropping bombs. And you, you could kind of get a feel for this era in C.S. Lewis's probably most popular book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and in that book, four kids were sent away from, the city, from their city home in Great Britain um, to the countryside. Um, in fact, um, here's a fun fact. That whole story was based off of C.S. Lewis's own experience. Like, uh, um, he took in four kids as part of the government's evacuation program, and the story was inspired from one of the kids asking what was behind the wardrobe, and then that inspired, you know, Narnia. So, so imagine these circumstances in Great Britain, where families, you know, would huddle around the radio daily to get updates on, you know, World War II things. Um, and, you know, bombs were dropping in the city. Um, people were wondering if they were going to be safe. Now, many of you can relate to this if you remember 9-11, where the TV was always on. It was in my house, and there was, you know, constant fear of, like, what was going to happen next? Are we going to be okay? Is our country going to be okay? So imagine this circumstance. Families are huddled around the radio listening for some hopeful message. So the BBC's Director of Religious Programming requested that C.S. Lewis um, prepare broadcast talks on faith over the radio um, in an uh, effort to, to bring some hope to these in this hopeless era. So it started as an experiment that ended up being a hit on the BBC. So there's only one remaining recording of this that we know of because apparently due to the hard financial times, the BBC recycled the other tape rolls. And I'm like, dang it. Like, I wish we had more. So we have one remaining tape roll and you'll be hearing it. Um, it it's apparent in reading the book Mere Christianity that C.S. Lewis makes the case for Christianity, not by an appeal to the Bible, but by appealing to logic. Uh, he's what you'd call, um, and this is kind of a new thing for me, a Christian apologetic, which it's nothing to do with apologizing. It's, um, it's, it means you're a person who approaches Christianity using, you know, logic, history, and objectivity, so being objective. So I'm aware that it's very likely that the entire audience of Uninformed is, is, is not, you know, Christians. Um, but I think what C.S. Lewis has to say, I'd, I'd argue, it's, it, it's not just for Christians. I think it's for everybody. Um, and uh, even though these uh, this recording is from 1944, I think there's plenty of relevance for today, and I think you'll see what I mean. So with fur- no further ado, now joining us from a BBC studio in 1944 is the late C.S. Lewis. So Mr. Lewis, I'm currently reading your book, 
mere Christianity. And here's my first question. What does it mean to be a Christian? The Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. And that this process goes on very far inside. One's most private wishes, one's point of view, are the things that have to be changed. That's why unbelievers complain that Christianity is a very selfish religion. Really? Isn't it very selfish, even morbid, they say, to be always bothering about the inside of your own soul, instead of thinking of humanity? Well, well, are they right? I mean, are, are Christians selfish in caring so much about their own souls? Now, what would an NCO say to a soldier who had a dirty rifle and when told to clean it replied, but Sergeant, isn't it very selfish, even morbid, to be always bothering about the inside of your own rifle instead of thinking of the United Nations? <laughs> Well, right. we needn't bother about what the NCO would actually say. You see the point? Right, right. The man is not going to be much use to the United Nations if his rifle isn't fit to shoot with. Yeah. In the same way, people who are still acting from their old natural selves won't do much real permanent good to other people. Well, well let's talk about Christians doing uh, permanent good. Um, there's plenty of Christians that, that have done bad things in the name of religion. I'm, sometimes it's something as small as, you know, discriminating comments to another group. Sometimes it's something even more drastic, like Christians performing hate crimes against other religious groups. Um, I'm, I'm definitely um, embarrassed to hear about those things. So what do you have to say about all of this, Mr. Lewis? History isn't just a story of bad people doing bad things. Okay. It's quite as much a story of people trying to do good things. But somehow something goes wrong. Take the common expression, cold as charity. How do we come to say that? From experience. We've learned how unsympathetic, patronizing, and conceited charitable people often are. And yet, hundreds and thousands of them started out really anxious to do good. And when they'd done it, somehow it just wasn't as good as it ought to have been. So you're saying, and, and I'm certain this, this applies to other religions too, that many of these unacceptable behaviors began as a good intention. So, so what's the difference between a good Christian or Muslim or Jew and a bad one? The old story, what you are comes out in what you do. A crab apple tree can't produce eating apples. As long as the old self is there, its taint will be over all we do. Right. We try to be religious and become Pharisees. Yeah. We try to be kind and become patronized. Right. Social service ends in red tape and officialdom. Unselfishness becomes a form of showing off. So, even though people are trying to do good by following a religion, it's, it's not working? I don't mean, of course, that we're to stop trying to be good. We've got to do the best we can. If the soldier's fool enough to go into battle with a dirty rifle, he mustn't run away. Right, right, right. 
But I do mean that the real cure lies far deeper. So, so there's a cure. Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. So, and, and explain what that means. The change won't, for most of us, happen suddenly. And I must admit that for most Christians, it'll only be beginning to the very end of our present lives. But there are some in whom it goes further, even before death, far enough for you to see it. Their very faces and voices are different. When you meet them, you know you're up against something which, so to speak, begins where you leave off. Something stronger, quieter, happier, more alive than ordinary humanity. Okay. Now, that's just where Christianity, as I think, has the real answer to a question a lot of modern people are asking. Everyone's heard of evolution, how men evolve from lower types of life. Yeah, okay. And people often ask, what's the next step? When is the thing beyond man going to appear? Some imaginative writers even try to picture what the next step will be like. But they usually end in nonsense about men with six arms or wings <laughs> or something of that kind. Okay. But the Christians think those people are on the wrong tack. The next step has already appeared. The next step is from being mere creatures to being sons of God. Okay. The new kind of man appeared in Christ. And other new men little Christ, are already to be found, dotted here and there about the earth. So in a way, Christians believe in evolution, kind of. We Christians don't call it evolution because we believe it isn't something coming up out of blind nature, but something coming down from the world of light and power and knowledge beyond all nature. But if you like to call it evolution, do. The next step is here. You can become one of the new men in Christ if you like. Or, if you prefer, you can refuse the step and sink back. Now, if we take the step, it involves losing what we now call ourselves. Now, l let's talk about what losing ourselves actually means. You know, so... I think a lot of people who are not into organized religion have a problem with not being able to be yourself if you're a Christian. Like, I, I, I think a lot of people see religious people the same way they see people who are into politics, where they jump onto the political, or the religious in this case, bandwagon, and their personality becomes homogenous with the whole group. So, is that what has to happen? That doesn't mean that all the people who accept Christ are going to be exactly like one another. All right. I know it sounds as if it did. If there's one Christ, and he's to be in us all, actually replacing our personalities with his own, what difference will there be between us? Yeah. How do we have our individuality? Now, here I've got a rather difficult thing to say. Okay. On the one hand... It isn't true that we shall lose our personal differences by letting Christ take us over. On the other hand, I don't think Christ can take us over as long as we're bothering about what will happen to our personality. 
Okay, let's talk about that first point you said. So you said it, it isn't true that we'll lose our personal differences in becoming a true Christian. If a person didn't know about salt, wouldn't he think that anything with such a strong taste would kill the taste of all the other things in any dish you put it into? Right, right. We know that as a matter of fact, it brings out their real taste. Well, it's rather like that with Christ. Okay, I get it, yeah. When you've completely given up yourself to his personality, you will then, for the first time in your life, be developing into a real person. Right. He made the whole world. He invented, as an author invents characters in a book, all the different men that you and I were intended to be. Our real selves are, so to speak, all waiting for us in him. What I call myself now is hardly a person at all. Oh, okay. It's mainly a meeting place for various natural forces, desires and fears, etc., some of which come from my ancestors and some from my education, some perhaps from devils. The self you were really intended to be is something that lives not from nature, but from God. Okay. It's only when you allow yourself to be drawn into his life that you turn into a true person. Now let's talk about the other point you made earlier. So, so you said change can't happen as long as we bother too much about what will happen to our personality. So what do you mean, what do you mean by that? As long as that's what you're bothering about, you haven't begun. Okay. Because the very first step towards getting a real self is to forget about the self. It will come only if you're looking for something else. That holds, you know, even for earthly matters. Even in literature or art, no man who cares about originality will ever be original. Yeah. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original right, yeah. and doesn't notice it. Even in social life, you'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking what sort of impression you make. Yeah. That principle runs all through life from the top to the bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death Submit with every fiber of your being, and you'll find eternal life. Look for Christ, and you'll get him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Look for yourself, and you'll get only hatred, loneliness, despair, and ruin. That was C.S. Lewis talking to us from a BBC studio in 1994. Oops, not 1994, 1944. Yeah, he was long dead by 1994. Thanks for listening. And thank you to those who shared our Facebook post last week, namely Maggie Hapney and Judy Gillen. Thanks. And if there's an episode that you really enjoyed, go on our Facebook page and share the posts that we made for the episode. 
it helps us grow and we'll give you a shout out on the show if you do so that's how it works also if you haven't subscribed to un uninformed in your smartphone podcast app do it our theme music is provided with permission from dd dumbo i'm sean cv and you're listening to un uninformed thanks everybody <laughs>